This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. An investigative reporter covering the oil and gas industry in Appalachia has been writing about health and environmental justice concerns at a facility in eastern Ohio that processes radioactive oil-filled waste. Essentially, a lot more comes to the surface at a well than just oil and gas. There's an incredible amount of waste. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. The number of antlered white-tailed deer killed in West Virginia during the two-week firearm season increased 18% compared to a year ago. The Division of Natural Resources says hunters killed nearly 50,000 deer from November 1st through December 4th. During last year's firearm season, more than 42,000 bucks were killed. The most deer were killed in Greenbrier, Preston, Randolph, and Ritchie counties. Paul Johansson, chief of the DNR's Wildlife Resources Section, says mast conditions and weather favored hunters this year. The archery and bow deer hunting season continues through December 31st. Hunting opportunities for antlerless deer will also occur later this month. West Virginia University's rifle team has received a $1 million gift from a family of longtime supporters. The WVU Athletic Department announced the gift last week from the Hayhurst family. The gift will name the head rifle coaching position in perpetuity as well as assist the rifle team. WVU says the family was inspired by a speech by former rifle coach Marsha Beasley during her WVU Sports Hall of Fame induction earlier this year. Brothers Ronald Hayhurst and the late Robert Hayhurst and the late Robin Hayhurst earned degrees at WVU. Robert Hayhurst's daughter, Christine Hayhurst-Davis, also is a WVU graduate who now runs the family's business enterprise. As people gather for special meals around the holidays, consumer advocates are warning about the dangers of gas stoves. State Impact Pennsylvania's Rachel McDivitt reports. Burning natural gas releases carbon monoxide and nitrogen oxide. Richard Trumka Jr. with the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission says those gases create indoor air pollution that is especially harmful to children and older adults. That's why I think we need to be talking about regulating gas stoves, whether that's drastically improving emissions or banning gas stoves entirely. Trumka says good alternatives to gas stoves already exist. Induction stovetops use magnetic energy to heat pots on the stove even faster than gas, but they are more expensive. Gas industry groups dispute findings that gas stoves impact indoor air quality and say efforts to move away from gas stoves limit consumer choice. Rachel McDevitt, State Impact, Pennsylvania. This past week, dozens of athletes from across the country converged on West Virginia for one of the biggest diving events in the country. As Chris Schultz reports, it represents the culmination of years of work for the venue.
From December 14th to December 18th, the Aquatic Center at Milan Park in Morgantown was host to USA Diving's Winter National Championship. Jen Lowry is the Communications Director for USA Diving. It's our top event of the year. We've got about 150 of the nation's top divers here competing for national titles. It's a chance for them to all compete, kind of see where they stand, earn national titles. And so it's a fun week for them to all see each other. They're coming from all over the country. USA Diving is the country's governing body for the sport and selects and trains teams to represent the United States in major diving events, including the Olympic Games. Lowry says one of the benefits of large events like the Winter Championship is not only to bring athletes together, but also to help prepare the next generation to represent the country. We certainly are always looking toward the future. You know, we've got the Paris Olympics coming up in about a year and a half, but we also have LA 2028 in in six years, and we want to make sure that these younger divers who are going to be representing the United States in Los Angeles in six years get the experience they need so that they're ready when when it's their turn. Samantha Pickens is one of the divers who competed last week. She traveled from Midlands, Texas to compete in Morgantown, and on Wednesday won a bronze in the women's three-meter synchronized dive. So I just partnered up with a new new partner, and we tried for the first time about two days ago. Uh, never had done synchro before, so two practices together, and, and we made a podium third-place finish, so it was pretty awesome. While wins are always nice, after 15 years in the sport, Pickens says it's the community that keeps her coming back and the chance to pay it forward to the next generation. I think a lot of it is the community, the people. You meet so many great people. USA Diving, I've met just so many great people, and now I'm coaching as well. So kind of giving back to what USA Diving has given me uh, to give back to the younger generation. And I don't want to leave the sport ever. Pickens grew up in Myersville, Pennsylvania, just outside of Pittsburgh. Competing in Morgantown is something of a homecoming, and she says she's excited to see such a modern facility in the region. This facility is fantastic here. I've never been here. This is my first time. So to to be so close to home and have such an amazing facility here, so close to my hometown and my family and everything like that, it's been really awesome. Jennifer Lanehart is the director of Aquatics and Track Center Complex at Milan Park. The Aquatic Center opened in 2019, but Milan Park as a whole has been slowly growing and developing for more than 20 years. And hosting a national championship is something of a culmination of all that work. I think if you are aware of what was here prior to this, I mean, this is reclaimed surface mine land um, that Milan Park uh in conjunction with the local schools and some, the local government, really look to build and rebuild on and make it a space where a community could come together because it was a big open dirt space. The Aquatic Center at Milan Park has previously hosted other USA Diving and NCAA Diving events. In September, Governor Jim Justice announced that West Virginia submitted a bid to host the 2024 Olympic Diving Trials at Milan Aquatic Center. The bid for the Olympic trials is set to be announced in the coming weeks, and the Milan Aquatic Center could soon be hosting more world-class athletes. But regardless of the bid's outcomes, Lanehart thinks the future is bright for the facility. We do think, whether or not we get it this year, that there's an opportunity for a future year's bid, even if it's not um, this coming year. And then USA Diving has a number of events. Milan Park continues to expand. There are plans to build another world-class sports facility, this time for BMX racing, as well as a Campgrounds of America location. Opportunities abound, not just for the facility, but for the community that it serves. Like Pickens, Lanehart sees the facility's biggest value in its impact on the community. 
Yes, it's a great event to bring. It brings people to the area, introduces them to Mountaineer country and uh, everything that we have to offer. But it also introduces our kids to the sports, sport of diving and allows them to see it and, and maybe think, well, maybe I'll like to try that someday. And I think hope, the hope is that we would build a community of diving around this. It's like, if you build it, they will come, right? And so you have this uh, world-class facility where kids can start to get, gain interest in the sport. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 7.52. Becoming partly sunny today, highs in the 30s, partly cloudy overnight with lows in the 20s. Partly sunny tomorrow, highs in the 30s and 40s, and mostly sunny Wednesday with highs in the 30s and 40s. Support for WVPB is provided by Good News Mountaineer Garage, a nonprofit organization accepting donated vehicles. Double West Virginia family get to work. More at goodnewsmountaineergarage.com. Justin Noble is an investigative reporter covering the oil and gas industry in Appalachia. Inside Appalachia's host Mason Adams caught up with Noble, who has been writing about health and environmental justice concerns at a facility in eastern Ohio that processes radioactive oil field waste. So how does oil field radioactivity affect people who work in the natural gas industry? Essentially, a lot more comes to the surface at a well than just oil and gas. There's an incredible amount of waste. And the primary form is something the industry refers to as brine. Well, despite this innocent sounding name, brine is an extraordinarily salty liquid. The salt alone is toxic. There's also carcinogens like benzenes. And then we have a lot of heavy metals and we happen to have the heavy metal radium. Radium is a radioactive metal and it's a really dangerous one. It's regarded by the medical community as a bone seeker. When radium is accidentally inhaled or ingested, your body confuses it for calcium and a portion of it will end up being stored in your bones. The problem there is you've now incorporated a radioactive element into your bones, into your skeleton, where it then does what radioactive elements do. It fires off radiation, and radiation is what can, in a variety of ways, damage the cells, the human machinery around it. On the outside of your skin, we have some protection from certain types of radiation, but in the inner space of your body, the intimate space, with all this soft tissue, there's really no protection. And so radiation can be particularly damaging when it's inside of you. So pulling back out now, brine is filled with radium. And the radium levels are actually really, really high. So, um, it is being sloshed around, trucks spill, and there's a variety of ways contamination can happen. But even more concerning from a worker standpoint 
is the sludge that will form in the bottom of tanks and trucks that hold brine. They don't really just have liquid in them, which will be taken off into what's called an injection well, but they have a sludge and it's a human worker who's gonna have to go and clean out that sludge. Likewise, at the wellhead, the brine tanks will accumulate a sludge also, and it's a human worker who is gonna go and clean out that sludge. And this is where we start to really get into the space where poor policy decades ago meets living human beings in the present because oil field waste, whether it's the brine or whether it's the sludge, has received this glorious exemption going back to 1980. Uh, and the exemption essentially says, even though we know there's a lot of hazardous constituents in oil field waste, we're going to label it non-hazardous. And so despite there have been hazardous properties. Oil field waste gets this tremendous pass that has very, very far-reaching ramifications. It's labeled as non-hazardous. And so often these workers who are cleaning out these tanks have no idea they're dealing with a hazardous material, have no idea they're dealing with a radioactive material. And the final note here, Mason, is there is so much brine, there is so much sludge being produced in the Marcellus, in the Utica, across Northern Appalachia, that you have to have this kind of elaborate system to deal with it, except the rules are not elaborate. The rules are scanty. And so what has happened is this really fly-by-night kind of ramshackle apparatus of dealing with the sludge. It's brought to these facilities called oil field waste treatment plants. And what they're trying to do is lower the radioactive signature enough so this waste, instead of having to be hauled out west to these very expensive radioactive waste disposal sites, can now go to a local landfill. This process should be illegal. It's a massive scam and it enables human workers to have intimate and repeated contact with this highly radioactive waste. You can hear more of that story in this past weekend's episode of Inside Appalachia. Check it out on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Amelia Nicely, Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Yoey, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning. <laughs>